And I thought I was the old one here that had funny memories. Do you know, doesn't time pass you by really quickly? I was laid in bed this morning, and uh, I was thinking about what I was going to say this morning, and uh, I have prepared more than this morning, don't worry. But I was thinking through this this morning about the significance of this morning. And uh, this this month, this this last week has been uh, quite a monumental uh, time in, in my life. Uh, yeah, I was, I was on holiday uh, and we were having a lovely time. But the significance was that uh, 40 years ago, last week, I joined the fire service in 90, April 1979. In 19, April 1989, I married Lynn. In 1999, we were born again. And here I am in April 2019, 20 years after I was born again, being given this great privilege of being able to stand here in front of you and preach God's word. He is amazing, isn't he? And I was thinking that, and then Lynn turned to me. She said, God's just given me a word for you for this morning. And she said, In your image, I created you to do my works. It's not the other way around. It's not we do good works and we get to God. He created us first. And it was just marvelous because she hadn't seen the notes of my sermon. <laughs> and she summed it up in one sentence. So I'm sorry, but you're going to get it in longer than one sentence. Now, when I was working in the fire service, uh, I just didn't have the time nor the inclination to read books. But I would read books when we went on holiday. And particularly, I used to love buying the latest John Grisham novel at the airport before we went away. Uh, and it's amazing that since I retired, I've really become an avid reader. And uh, one of the uh, best books I've ever, written, uh, I've ever written, I've ever read, is this one. And it's a classic, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. And I thought, why did I enjoy that so much? Well, that was the first book I ever read as a member of a book club. In the church we were at previously, we started a book club. Uh, and uh, we used to read a classic book and then watch it on video afterwards to see how much different it was. And that was the first one we ever did there. And then I remembered when I was back at school, we read this one, 1984 by George Orwell. Well, I read it again this year. And the thing that struck me, reading it the second time round, was this was written in 1949. How much George Orwell got near to the truth was quite amazing, isn't it? And then I said, I like reading uh, John Grisham novels on holiday. Well, somebody introduced me to a, an author called Lee Childs and the Jack Reacher novels. Now, I've got a little bit of OCD. And the Jack Reacher novels, you started reading some, and then 
he wrote, wrote another one, a bit like the Star Wars films, you know, you, you, you watch the first three and then he went back right to the very beginning. So with my OCD, I worked out which order they came in and I read them in the right order. So I worked my way through Jack Reacher's life. And I tried to wonder, why was it I quite liked this guy? And I think the thing that I really liked about him was that he traveled around America with nothing on his back and a fold-up toothbrush in his pocket. Wouldn't that be a lovely way to live your life? Yeah? But then, of course, you've got to read really good Christian books to fill your, fill your soul. And uh, so I'm going to recommend a few. I love anything by C.S. Lewis, but the best one for me is Mere Christianity. A couple of years ago, Chris Williams was stood here preaching, and he recommended this book by Bill Hybels called Simplify. It's about living a simple life. It's an absolute brilliant read. But I made the fatal mistake of I bought this, and I took it with me to Tanzania when I was going there with uh, Andy Johnson on a mission trip. Not a good book to read when you're in Africa. It really challenges you. And then a couple of months ago, uh, Anna was here preaching, and she was on fire from the, from the front here this morning. And she really challenged me when she said one sentence in the middle. And she just said, all I shall say is, act like men. And I'll leave it with you. And it really challenged me. Anyway, I found this book called Act Like Men. And I read it, and it's by uh, a guy very similar to Bill Hybels, who started a mega church in Chicago called James MacDonald. And it's a really, really good read. And it really does challenge you to act like a man. But probably my second favorite book is by Tim Keller, and it's called The Prodigal God. And this book's got a special place in my heart because after I'd read it, I gave it to Nick. And he read it while we were on holiday on the island of Rhodes in 2009 when we're, I'd just retired from the fire service. And we had the most amazing conversations every night, didn't we? By, with our feet dangling in a swimming pool. Uh, and it's just a, a really special, special book. But the best Christian book ever is that one. Jim Packer knowing God. And we were very privileged when he came to, a few years ago, he came to Eastbourne and he spoke at Holy Trinity Church. Uh, but this book is just full of amazing truths. But it's all about knowing God. Do you have a living relationship with the God who created you? It's absolutely awesome. So when Sai gave me the passage that I'm to preach on this morning, I was really happy because uh, Romans is my favorite book in the whole of the Bible, and particularly chapter 8. I just think it's lovely. So let me put the, the passage this morning into context. Paul probably wrote the book of Romans uh, while he was still in Corinth, and he was writing to them uh, and he was on his third missionary journey, uh, and he was hoping to go to Rome 
on his way to Spain. Now, Romans is, is renowned as being the most in-depth and systematic presentation of the gospel, and in particular, the doctrine of justification in the entire Bible. Now, justification speaks uh, of the new identity that we gain in Christ. Uh, and it's that identity which is a key reason why Paul is writing this letter to them. The church in Rome consisted of both Jewish and Gentile Christians. Some were mature and some were young in the faith. And apparently there were some less mature Christians who didn't grasp their new identity, allowing things like race and maturity to divide them, which is why Paul writes in such depth about how the gospel gives us a new identity. We should, of course, remember that Paul was not sitting in some ivory tower writing these things down. On the contrary, Paul is writing a letter to people for whom he had pastoral concern. Even though he'd not even met them yet, he knew that what they needed was to find their identity in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, because anything less would be idolatry. Now, when you read Romans in the first seven chapters, there's a lot of difference about the difference between Jews and Gentiles. There's also a lot of mention about those who are circumcised and non-circumcised. And it's we've, we've been going through some of the chapters in Romans in our, in our life group, and uh, it's been a bit difficult on some evenings with so many mentions of circumcision but all the men have been sat with their legs crossed and been very attentive. And then you get to chapter 7. Well, chapter 7 in the book of Romans focuses very much about our release from the Old Testament laws. In fact, Paul is so focused on telling us that we are released from the law that he mentions it 31 times in one chapter. But then we come to chapter 8. And chapter 8 is all about life in the Spirit. John Stock calls it God's Spirit in every one of God's children. You see, our bodies are only th the only things that we have in common with non-Christians. Why? Well, because we are separated by His Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And the whole of this chapter is about our total salvation. And if you read verse 1, it says this, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The Spirit gives us freedom. You are not made right with God by what you do, he did it all. On the cross, for me and for you. Have you got it? He did it all. Amen. Then it says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
We're called to live a spirit-filled life. And when you do, one of the things I've noticed, you may have noted the same thing, but it's, you develop as well this sensitivity to sin. You know when you've sinned. And you become very sensitive to it because you're trying to live according to the Spirit. And then in verse 14 and 15, it says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're living in a spirit family. You are, and we're going to sing this to end the service this morning, no longer a slave to fear. Each and every one of you is a child of God. You are a child of God. Praise be. So we come to the main passage that I want to talk about today, which is verses 18 to 22. If you've got it on your Bible, in your Bible. If not, it's going to come up on the screen here. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. For the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, this passage is all about spirit longing. In verse 19, it says, creation waits. Well, I want to use uh, a slide now. It's a diagram that Sam used when he preached a couple of months ago about the kingdom of God. I found this an absolutely amazing slide. Uh, I've studied it loads. It's so simple, yet it's so profound. And I want to use it. And you'll notice in here, in verse 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation, in this passage, it's the Greek word, katesis. It means mankind in general. We are waiting to be renewed creations. Hence the title of the sermon. So we need to go back right to the very beginning. And we need to go back to Genesis chapter 1. To remind us of what and how God created us. And in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 31, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God 
he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have domination over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So he created us. In his image, man and woman, he created us. That was his plan for us. And then what did we do? Go back to Romans verse 20. Creation was subjected to futility. We see in Genesis 1 that God has created his perfect world. And then what happens? Well, we know. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and we had the fall. And then we go to Genesis chapter 7 and 9. God presses the reset button. He floods the earth. And he makes it all, as best as he could, right again with Noah. And then it says in chapter 9, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Do you recognize that? That was in Genesis 1. He's repeating the same message from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. But then he says this, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hands they are delivered every moving thing that lives shall be food for you and as I give you the green plants I give you everything see it's not until this point God actually gives us permission to eat animals we were all living in harmony with each other until then. And then what happens in the ensuing thousands of years? Do we screw it up? Of course we do. Look at the world now. The, everything is about us, about what we want. It's all man-made. It's not how he created it. It's how we want it not how God wants it. And we are called to live lives that are totally different to that. And there is a promise. And if you look at Sam's timeline, we'll see how. That promise came when Jesus brought his kingdom on the cross. 
and we continue to live and we, we to strive to live that way. But then we get to revelation at the end. God is telling us how he is going to set us free from all this and what it's going to look like. So Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things passed away. Amen. God is going to dwell with us. So what will that look like? Well, you only have to look in the Bible to see what it's going to look like. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, it says this, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One of the questions Lynn often asked people when we were talking about what's a new heaven and a new earth going to look like was how do you eat roast lamb for your Sunday lunch at the banquet? If there's no death. Well, the lion is going to lay with the lamb. It's simple. We're going to go back to a Genesis 1 existence. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. This is verse, chapter 35, verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. Can't wait, can you? It's going to be so beautiful. But in the interim, it tells us in verse 22 of Romans chapter 8 that creation is going to be groaning in the pains of childbirth. Why, do, why does it say that, the pains of childbirth? Well, it goes back again, doesn't it, to the fall. In Genesis 3.16, God says our punishment is that childbirth will become painful. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to suffer 
we're going to become groaning Christians. And there will be pain as we groan for heaven. And I think what he's saying here is, we're going to become groaning Christians, but not like we're going to moan about this and we're going to moan about that. Uh, we're going to groan because we long to see the coming of the Lord. Amen. So the rest of the chapter of verse eight, uh, chapter eight of Romans, gives us a real quick look forward as we move on to that glory. So in verse 26, it says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit gives us a security. And it also gives us that wonderful promise the Spirit is going to intercede for us. Isn't that a wonderful promise? In verse 28, it then says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. That's God's plan for us. 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He predestined us to be conformed in the image of God. Genesis 1, how we were created. God's purpose for us. And then finally, Verse 30 says this, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you notice there? It's all in the past tense. It's already been done. God has done it all. So what's the application for us? He brings us freedom. The Spirit brings us freedom. The Spirit brings us life. The Spirit puts us into a family. And the Spirit gives us a longing God to come again and create that new heaven and that new earth. And he gives us the security of the promises that God is going to keep. Right from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, it's all about his plan for us. And the part that we have to play in that plan is laid out in the text in between. But it's dead simple. We have to live our lives seeking to be the image of God. It says in James 
chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. What he's saying there is, you've got to be doing this 24-7. Not just for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. When we go out that door, you've got to continue living, seeking to be the image of God. In John 13, verse 35, it says this. Jesus said, the world should know us by our love. Whether people see that when they come through this door or they see it when we're out in Hailsham. God should know that you come to Christ Church, Hailsham, because of the love that we show to each and every member of this family. My experience is we do it pretty good. But we can always do it better. We need to be the family in Hailsham that everybody wants to be a part of. That's God's calling to us. That's all we've got to do. I mentioned earlier these two books, Simplicity and Act Like Men. Bill Hybels, James MacDonald. What do both of these guys have in common? They led mega churches. Notice I've said that in the past tense. Within weeks of me reading this book, Bill Hybels had to step down as leader of his church. Within three days of me finishing reading this book, I saw on the internet that James MacDonald had had to step down from leading his church. Why? Because they didn't live their lives seeking to be the image of God. They started being corrupted by the world. So you can be a preacher of a mega church and you think everything's going well and it can all come crashing down because you don't follow God's plan. You can get wound up in your own importance. None of us are important. The message of the Bible is to live humble lives. Talk about God's creation being subjected to futility. Really is, isn't it? Look what we do. Global warming. Have you been watching all those programs about the plastics in the sea? It's frightening. We're doing that to the world. So what can we do? Well, we can all do our own little bits, can't we? Simple things like we can bring our own coffee cups to church so we don't use the, the non-recyclable uh, ones that we give, we give out. You know, diet fads, they don't work. God's creation gave us the perfect diet. I was at a, a leadership conference uh, with uh, some of the guys, with Cy and Duncan, uh, up in Bedford earlier in the year. And we had this fantastic uh, woman came and gave a presentation who works for a charity called Youthscape in Luton. Uh, and she was talking to us about different generations and 
how like uh, there's millennials and there's post-millennials and what have you. Uh, well, when I got my head around what she was talking about, what she meant by a millennial, one of the things that she said about them is that they realize that when they commit to live a life uh, for Jesus, they're really convinced they've got to go back to Genesis 1. Uh, and uh, Sai, give me a dig. He says, you're obviously a millennial then, Chris. Because some of you may know that Lynn and I went vegan a year ago. Uh, well, if we're going to go back to a, a Genesis 1 diet in the new creation, in the new heaven and the new earth, make the most of eating your meat now. Because when you meet Jesus, again, you're going to become a vegan. Now, some of you may also know that three and a half weeks ago, my dad died. Uh, and his funeral uh, is a week on Tuesday. Uh, so you can imagine, we thought an awful lot about where he is, was he saved, etc. But we know from a conversation that we had with him only the week before he died, he'd, he'd come down to Eastbourne to move in with us. Uh, and he was talking and he said, I've given everything up. You know, I've, I've lost my car. I've given up my house. I've given up everything but I haven't given up my faith. Hallelujah. We know exactly where dad is. And it's a wonderful reassurance to those that are left behind that you know he's with Jesus and he, we're going to meet him again someday. And it was so appropriate because a few days later, I went to the funeral uh, at the crematorium in Brighton of a, an ex-colleague of mine. He died at the, well, at the age of 61, just like that. And we stood there in the crematorium and the celebrant uh, who was taking the service asked us all to give thanks for his life. And I just stood there and I thought, to who? There's no hope in, in, in that, is there? There's no hope. And then we were asked to stand to commit his body. But to where? It's just a body. Dad dies. We know where he's gone. We have a hope. We have an assurance. We have security. We have that promise. You see, the th key thing for us all to realize is that we're, we're not going to be spirits floating around some heavenly space. But God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Or more precisely, he's going to renew heaven and earth. He's going to take us back to his original creation. We're going to go back to a Genesis 1 world and we will spend eternity in a renewed and perfected earth. This is the hope we have to look forward to. Why? Because God has done it all. If the band would like to come up, just while I say these last few words. We are to be doers of the world. Doers of the word. We're to be known as a family known by our love. 
I want to end with a paragraph from the latest book that I'm reading. I read this while I was away on holiday and it just came to me. I read this paragraph and I thought, this is, this is the way to end on Sunday morning. It's a book called Letters to the Church by a guy called Francis Chan. And it says this, God commands the church to be devoted to his word, to fellowship, to the Lord's Supper, and to pray. Why? Because God desires his people to experience him. He who is infinitely greater than anything we could ever imagine. The creator of the universe desires intimacy with us. He has given us a roadmap for seeking and finding him, and we have forsaken it because we think we have better ideas. Can you see how absurd that is? Our job is to reveal God to people. He is present in his word, fellowship, communion, and prayer. And our calling is simply to put him on display and watch as he draws people to himself. Do you want to experience him for the first time? Or do you need to rekindle that love for him? Do you desire intimacy that only he can bring? Do you want to put your hand in the hand of the one who did it all and walked through eternity hand in hand with him? Then I invite you, step forward during this last song. And let God just wrap his arms around you. Pray with me or one of the other people who will come to be with you. And for all of us, remember this. God has done it all. Amen. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, that you have given us total salvation. And all that you ask in return is that we live our lives so that people see you through us, how we live, how we fellowship together as a church family, and through how we speak about you. We're looking forward, Lord, to seeing you in a renewed creation and being with you for eternity. Amen.